Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Hackers and HackZen podcast. You're about to join Erica, Jax, and John for an inclusive cybersecurity conversation designed to educate and break the stereotypes of cybersecurity professionals while providing life hacks on how to handle burnout, networking, and goal setting. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Today, Morgan is a leader at a cybersecurity consulting firm, and she has an awesome background that we're so excited to chat through today. Morgan earned her computer science degree from the University of Idaho. She holds numerous certifications, such as her CISA, Network CE, CISSP, and her PCI QSA. Morgan, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Oh, absolutely fabulous. Thanks for asking, Erica, and I'm hoping you're both doing uh, fabulously yourself. Thank you so much. Uh, We love having you on the show. And as we kick off the episode today, I really just want to start off by telling the listeners here a little bit about your story. How did you make it into the cybersecurity space? You know, I know that your education played a little bit of a role in that. So kind of walk us through... um, you know, how your education led you into cybersecurity or any other factors that may have impacted it along the way? So in this case, there was a little bit of interest and a little bit of luck. (laughs) As as most careers, I've um, I've heard uh, stories come to be. Um, When I was a a kid, we were lucky enough that, uh, you know, back back in the uh, mid 90s, we were lucky enough that my uh, my dad, uh, purchased a computer. So of course, our, our first operating system, we kind of bounced between Windows 3 and Windows 95. And uh, because of these advantages, um, I had this unique opportunity where I could kind of get on. And even though we had some little video games on there, I really enjoyed playing with the registry when I could get into it. Um, you know, and, and little silly things like, um, watching the computer defrag. I know it's ridiculous. I was surprised the other day when I was talking to a friend about this, there are apparently sites with GIFs where you can watch this now. Uh, so apparently I'm not the only one, <laughs> but, uh, overall getting into the more technical side of the computer as a small child, this kind of evolved, um, as we upgraded computers and understanding how they worked. Uh, to a couple of crashed ones where eventually I had to learn to be the one to reformat and be the primary tech support because I would be the one who would uh, maybe accidentally destroy them. Um, But overall, this curiosity continued to evolve. Um, And once I got into college, I ended up actually going in for chemistry since our high school system, um, as a little bit of background, I was born and raised in, uh, in Anchorage, Alaska. And at the time, we didn't have any computer science programs. So I wasn't even aware that this was a career path I could select. Um, so I went into chemistry as a background just because I enjoyed the formulations. I was like, hey, I'm good at math. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> I could not do that. <laughs> 
took him was intimidating. Um, so I ended up taking a semester to just take some general uh, study classes. And one of these classes ended up being um, a very uh, slow paced uh, coding course. And while I am not the best coder, uh, I, I have a base understanding of those operating systems. Um, and I had an absolute blast figuring out these puzzles. And I was like, you know what? It may not be the best grade, but this is something I enjoy. This is something I can see myself doing for a few years. So uh, let's just go ahead. Let's change this major. Let's get the ball rolling. And uh, it kind of cascaded from there. That is amazing. Yeah. I, I thought it was funny when you're like, I'm good at math. I can totally do this. You're like, you yeah, know, uh -uh. totally different types of math out there. Yes. Um, I, I did a physics course in the military and I was like, oh, I'm terrible at math. And I did a physics course and I actually really enjoyed it. So I always just tell people, you never know until you try it out. And I love that. Like you, you went in there, you tried it out, you dipped your toes in a few different things and you kind of figured out your path that way. I love that. I'm really curious because before I met you and was talking with Erica, she was telling me about your background being within PCI and uh, doing the qualified security assessor. I actually didn't know what that was. So I had to do a little bit of research to kind of understand a little bit about that. And that's a really, I feel like that's a really niche like position to be in. So I'm really curious, how did you get into PCI and specifically going into QSA? If you could share that story with us. You know what, Jax, uh, when I went into it, I went into it without any knowledge either. This is, a, this is definitely one of those cases of you find some careers, other careers find you. Um, initially, when I came out of college, I actually uh, went into identity and access management for, uh, for a regional bank. Um, when this bank was acquired, I ended up getting a bit pigeonholed. I got a bit bored. And uh, my mentor at the time, he, he kind of saw where things were going. So we left the company, didn't hear from him for several months. And suddenly, and I, I find this to be coincidence, but I was really I, I was tickled. It was on my birthday. I get this message um, on LinkedIn. So how do you feel about assessment work? <laughs> it's like, you know what? If it, if it teaches me more about security and gets me in the direction where I'm going, let's do this thing. Um, so I ended up interviewing for a, uh, at the time, a smaller assessment firm. And uh, it turned out what they were doing primarily was um, PCI QSA assessment work. And what this is on a, a breakdown is a payment card industry um, data security standard um, and QSA, which is a qualified security assessor, which is the uh, certification you are required to have to perform these assessments. Now, what the payment card industry data security standard is, is a collection of requirements um, and the standard that you need to assess the people, processes, and technology within a scoped environment where credit card data may reside, as well as the security affecting systems and any systems that might connect to this cardholder data environment. Um, 
And you need to make sure that, you know, for these requirements, which are comprised of what the industry considers to be the most common attack vectors, are not present or that they have some form of mitigating factor that is sufficient to um, satisfy these requirements or the intent of the requirements. So it can, um, it can get a little dicey at times and at other times it, it can be rather prescriptive. It's um, one of my favorite quotes um, you'll hear from any given QSA at any given time is, it depends. And it depends is a very accurate statement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Morgan, that resonates with me so well. Um, also, you know, having some experience and dabbling in the assessment space, the uh, reasonable assurance and the auditor lens, right? That gray area that we get to navigate. Um, I think it's, I think it's awesome that you were able to get exposed to this space um, because I think similar to Jax and similar to you, like. A lot of people hadn't heard of what a PCI DSS assessment was. They don't know what a report on compliance or a ROC is or an attestation on compliance and AOC, which are the two deliverables that come out of these PCI assessments. Um, I, I mean, I decently early on in my career started seeing them more so to satisfy vendor requirements when I was in the vendor management space. And I was fascinated. I was like, how do you perform these? Well, I found out you, you have to become this QSA. And so Morgan, I want to dig into that a little bit deeper because uh, I'm sure our listeners are, are here and they're already kind of, you know, Googling probably PCI. Um, what is PCI? And then on top of that, what are the requirements to be, become a QSA? Because it's not as simple as going in and saying, I'm going to take a QSA. There's prerequisites to even take the QSA. Um, so I wanted to dive in and kind of get your perspective on how that process went for you, any tips or tricks for anyone wanting to become a PCI assessor in the future. So to become a full-blown QSA, um, you are required to have at least five years worth of experience. At least one of these years can be taken care of by having that four-year degree in a computer science of sorts. Um, you can take a more technical path or you can take a more framework associated path, such as um, understanding the uh, ISO framework. Um, nowadays, there are, uh, PCI offers uh, a lot more support than it has in years previous, but it also requires a lot more of you. Um, when I initially went into the program, um, you could only have those five years of experience and uh, get this QSA. And you had to have um, at least one form of a certification or other. And in my case, um, it was a, a bit expedited. Uh, we, we went ahead and signed me up for the, the CISA, which was an auditor uh, form certification. Nowadays, to become a QSA, you requ you're required to have at least one aud auditor, oh, excuse me, uh, one auditor form certification and one technical certification, um, which in my case, I opted to uh, go with the CISSP. Now, uh, to get through those five years worth of experience and allow uh, our trainees to more fully experience and have a little bit more autonomy with the 
within this reporting process, there's now something called an AQSA, which is an associate QSA, um, where our trainees or juniors, they can get this certification with only one certificate, which is what the previous QSA required, and they can perform a limited set of these tasks on their own, which allows them to gain that experience without, um, without our direct oversight, which is very, very helpful in learning and making sure that they have that hands-on, okay, I understand how to deal with this situation in the future. Because when you are in a PCI field, yes, you are dealing with only so many operating systems or softwares um, or even physical locations. But here's the thing, there's an infinite permutation of setups that you can have with these, which makes every single environment that you look at very unique. Which I assume makes your job all the more exciting from assessment to assessment. So Morgan, I, I know I mentioned um, the two deliverables, the AOC and the Rock. Um, I'd love for you to just give a quick just summary on the differences for any of our listeners here that may be getting confused by some of the terminology that we're throwing out there. Um, wanted to hear from you, the resident expert here on the podcast. Um, what is the difference between those two deliverables and when should a company pursue one or the other? So PCI does have more than one deliverable that you can get out of it, just depending on what, what type of business you are, as well as how much business you're doing. So in PCI, there are two types of, uh, two types of entities that we're mainly assessing. And these are a merchant or a service provider. And sometimes you have companies that can be both. <laughs> Here's an example. You have merchants who they're just selling you goods and services and processing your credit card data. So that might be somewhere where you're going to like, a, say, Walmart or Target or even say like a hotel. Now, a service provider might be someone on the back end who's helping these merchants process this credit card data. So let's say these um, these service providers might be a payment processor who's helping them get this data to the bank, um, or they might be, say, a cloud provider, um, such as Azure, AWS, Google, what have you, um, that a merchant might be using, but the cloud provider itself may, is not directly processing that data. So these are some uh, some examples that you might be able to use for some clients that we might look at. Now, what you have for various levels, um, when it comes to service providers, you look primarily at the report on compliance and attestation of compliance. And very, very occasionally, something called a SACD. Uh, very occasionally. This would only be if these are very, very low transaction. They, they don't um, process much credit card data at all. They very, very low scope. Um, now, here's the difference between these. 
of a report on compliance is the big detailed report that's on the back end that the client would receive. Um, this tells them all the details. Why is this in place? How is this in place? Um, why is this uh, in place even though it's not directly uh, satisfying a requirement? Or is this not satisfying a requirement? Um, the attestation of compliance is more commonly what you'll see available to the public. Um, this is what shows that, yes, here's the signature saying, yes, your assessor, to the best of their ability, attests that, yes, this is correct data, and this is either compliant or non-compliant, as well as the entity itself signing. It also has a couple of high-level details to ensure that whoever is looking at this report understands that these details are appropriate for whatever they might be looking at. Now, a SACTI, again, very, 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 very tiny. Um, and this is the only one available to a service provider. Um, depending on the size, the client might be able to fill that out themselves. But most often, you want to have the QSA take care of that for you to ensure that that is correct to the best of their ability. Now, a merchant has a little bit more wiggle room. <laughs> uh, they've got a, a wide array. Uh, and when I say SAC, by the way, I realize that I'm, I'm not really elaborating. It's um, an SAQ. Now, what I mean by SAC or a self-assessment questionnaire, um, a merchant has a little bit more wiggle room with, uh, depending on the volume of transactions and how they're performing these transactions. Um, they, uh, they have a selection basically from A to D <laughs> and a few in between. And they, uh, especially if they are transacting, uh, over a certain amount, they will also probably go with the report or rather they will opt for the report on complaints and the attestation. So, uh, I, I realized that that is a very in-depth <laughs> explanation, but at a high level, report is very detailed, attestation confirms that, yes, we're good to go. <laughs> I, love it. I love the detail and I love the wrap-up summary. Um, I'm sure for anyone out there listening, looking to get to the assessment space that may have heard of PCI just in passing, really appreciated that level of detail and the breakdown. Because uh, as you and I both know, there are a lot of frameworks, a lot of different assessments that we can uh we can provide customers, service providers, merchants, you know, all sorts of different uh, businesses. So I think it's a really, really uh, great overview that you gave. So Morgan, I'm going to um, take a couple steps back. I know you mentioned your male mentor that you had earlier on in your career. Um, and that brought something up because I, I mean, my first mentor was also a male in the industry. And um, I was wondering, have you experienced any difficulties, challenges, um, being a female in a more male dominant field? I know that, you know, having male mentors is unique. Um, and we are definitely fortunate to have had male mentors. Um, but I know that that's not the same for everyone here, right? So I wanted to kind of dive into how, how your experience has been as a woman in this field and whether it's impacted in any which way. So I, 
this is a very interesting topic as we get into it. Um, it can also be very controversial on many levels. I, um, I do want to start out with saying that, well, it can seem to a lot of the ladies out there, and including myself at times, it can seem like we have a lot of pushback. We also do have a lot of allies out there. Um, sometimes we have to look a little harder. Sometimes we have to push a little harder. but we we do have that help um but having some of those challenges sometimes i, I i'm going to be very honest i've i've been a bit conditioned for it through my career i i've only really had one job uh which was a volunteer job uh throughout my um career where it, it has not been absolutely male dominated. Um, however, uh, throughout my career, I actually uh, started uh, at age 15 in a comic book shop um, for three years. So I, I learned to navigate a, a considerable amount of um, prejudice from men in a field where, you know, we're just going to gatekeep. We're going to push the women out, you know, in a place where it's, you know, men. Um, and I've had to navigate that for a large section of my life. So there, there's times where I, I see it, but may not necessarily see it and just kind of dive in much like a bull in a China shop. And I, I have a tendency to um, assert myself a little stronger and a bit more unapologetically. But at the same time, uh, one of my coping strategies with this has been rather than making myself more of an aggressive force, um, trying to be a bit more assertive with the team functionality of we're facing this thing together. We, you know, using that we term <laughs> quite a bit, whether they like it or not. Like, we need to understand this problem. I need to, I need you to explain this to me so that I understand the problem so that we can resolve the situation and make sure our client is happy. Um, so situations like that. And um, actually, uh, a lot of my hobbies, in addition, you know, comic book shop, um, I found throughout the course of my life have also been a bit more male dominated. Um, for example, I also quite enjoy brewing beer um, and recently joined up with um, with a brewing club. And one of uh, the brewers is a teacher at um, at a at a school for uh, for some more troubled youths. And he said something to me out of context when I, I first met him the other the other week that really challenged me, I think, for one of the first, you know, absolutely challenged me in this regard um, that I've got some uh, I've got some bad news for you and some good news for you, because in, in this brewing field, there's something, uh, you know, the, the women brewers, we tend to stick together. We want to support each other. And one of the, the women brewers had um, a box that had been returned to her for uh, a fundraising event. She had wanted to give this box to the next female brewer who came through. And 
the good news was I got this box, which meant that there's this expectation, but and which was wonderful. And I was like, wow, thank you. But the out of context comment was the bad news is that you're a woman. And I was just so taken aback at the time. I was like, why would you say this? But, you know, I, I came back to him later and I, I had to ask him, I'm like, I, I want to tell you that in no context is it is it bad news to be a woman. But I have to ask, why why would you say this? I I don't quite understand. And it was actually a very good teaching moment for me because I, I hadn't seen these women who came through his school and how hard he had seen them work to work with these men that he had seen them work two to 10 times as hard as their male peers and just without even thinking about it. And I just, I, I wish I had had more context when he said it at the time, but that's part of why I say that there are so many more allies out there than we expect, but sometimes we have to look for more context within yeah, Morgan, that resonates so much. I know Erica's shaking her head on this too, because it's being my background primarily in the military. And then on top of that, being in the special ops, I was almost always the token woman in the room. And it wasn't a positive being a woman. You were, you were, I think things are slowly changing, but we're still seen as not an equal asset as our male counterparts. And I hope that changes, but I've moved on and I'll let the next uh, younger generation move into those roles and positions and hopefully make a bigger impact uh, within the combat roles and infantry. But coming into this civilian side, I've been asked, you know, were you surprised of coming into the civilian side of cybersecurity, leaving the military, and it's still being like a male-dominated area where women are not seen in some environments and some cultures as an equal. And I wasn't so much surprised about that. What I was a little bit surprised about is that it was still so prevalent and that we uh, don't talk about it. And it's, it's as if we are pushed aside and we get in trouble because we're, we're a female in the space. Like we can't speak up because then we're too emotional and all these things where that happens in the military, but it's just, it's different. It's, it's just, it's very different. But I think that we're shifting into the right direction within the cybersecurity sector, especially with getting more women into the space. And I love that. Um, And, I hope that these stories that we share will eventually in the next five to 10 years and the generations coming after us will be, will change. And these women will have more female mentors instead of male mentors. Male mentors are great. It's always awesome when you can have another woman to talk with that understands kind of where you're coming from. Absolutely. Which if I may interject for, for the first time in my life in the past few years, I I have had a a woman mentor and it has been absolutely life-changing. And I'm just so thankful to have her in my life. So I I do agree, Jax. It's fascinating to see that come from another perspective in such a good way. And it's so reassuring to have someone who's had those experiences. Yeah, it's awesome. I look forward to it. I'm still trying to find my female mentor uh, in this space. So I want to know though, 
let's pivot a little bit, but still on a very similar topic. Uh, I know we've got listeners, male and females, uh, about thinking about, I want to go into this sector and I don't really know how to go about it. And maybe there's a, a female listening right now that she just heard some of the negatives and there are positive of being a woman, a lot of positives of being a woman in this sector. Can you provide some advice to our listeners on how they could go about uh, joining this, this field and moving into the cybersecurity sector and looking for their first entry level job? Absolutely. Um, the main thing, look, those technical aspects that are fun to you. Find something that you might be able to specialize in. Find those um, find those technical aspects that maybe um, even if it's just that operating system level, maybe it's a, a set of technologies. Maybe it's networking. Find find the fun. That's that's my big advice for that. Find the fun um, because if it's not fun after a time, it's not going to be worth it. Um, the other thing is when you look at job postings, people will post what their dream candidate should be, not what they're going to get. It doesn't matter if you meet those criteria or not, just apply. Just apply all day. Chances are good that you might be that match that they're looking for. Because remember, you can, as long as you express that capacity to learn and that willingness to learn, you can be trained to be that dream candidate. You need to just take that upon yourself to put yourself out there is the big thing. It, and this can be very difficult, especially since some of those postings can be a little bit intimidating. Oh my gosh, intimidation for sure. I think, especially for any of the women listening, don't be afraid to apply just because you only have 50 or 60% of the qualifications. We tend to do that as women, where males will apply if they've got 20 to 30% of the quals, where we think we have to be perfect 90 to 100%. Just apply. You never know, you could be the perfect fit. Well, we are coming to the end of this, Morgan, and you have been an absolute pleasure and you have provided a ton of information. I know that we're probably gonna actually, um, Erica, we need to have her back for a round two to deep dive into more on the compliance side and the assessment side. But I know our listeners are gonna wanna be able to contact you either to learn more about what you're doing or maybe have you as a mentor. What would be the best way that they could reach out and contact you? Yeah, please uh, don't hesitate to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Actually, uh, Discord is uh, one of my favorite ways to be reached out to. I'm on it just a little bit more. And hey, if you want to play a game of Rocket League, I mean, it's just like taking a walk while you're discussing mentorship things or any other issue. Um, It's a lot of fun. (laughs) Rocket League, I'm going to have to check that out. Morgan, you're awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. (laughs) Thanks, Jax. Thanks, Erica. It's been an absolute pleasure. So much fun and can't wait to have you back. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hackers and Hackzen podcast with Erica, Jax, and John. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itsbmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. 
If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.